0: If you got your Bibles, open up to Matthew 14 as we continue to talk about if you want to walk on water. The last couple of weeks we've talked about if you want to walk on water, uh, you've simply got to know that storms are coming. You've got to be prepared for the storms of life. We're all going to go through struggles. We're all going to go through difficulties, and if we are prepared, we are in a better place to be able to stand in the midst of those storms. Today we're going to talk about if you want to walk on water, you've got to know God. You've got to know God. Now, you think about this. uh, When you see a little kid, isn't it funny how adults will speak to children? You kind of get the baby talk going. Any of you guys ever had that? And usually from the moment children can speak, we're asking them, how big are you? You guys ever done that? How big are you? And you watch the little kid go, I'm this big. Right? Now, that works in that context because You certainly don't want to say that when your wife goes, does my hips look big in this dress? Oh, they're this big, right? No, in the connotation, you got to make sure you're watching it. But we do. We we talk to little kids, and the purpose behind that is to show them that they're growing, that they're getting bigger, that they're getting stronger, that they are growing. And when we think about that, and we think about that in the context of our God, the question we should be asking ourselves is, how big is our God? How big is our God? And I want you to see, as we look through this passage today, you'll know that the relevancy of how big your God is, in a lot of ways in your own eyes, is dependent on your own faith. But our God's size never changes. Our God is still the same. It's just you may not see Him as big as He really and truly is. So today we want to talk about three things we need to know if we want to walk We begin, we're looking at verses 25 to 27 this morning. We're going to read them all together. It simply says this, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. The first thing that we need to know is we need to know his presence. We need to know his presence presence look at verse 25 it says and in the fourth watch of the night jesus went unto them walking On the sea. It says in the fourth watch of the night. Now you gotta understand they were using kind of Roman time frame here. So the fourth watch would be very, very early in the morning. The fourth the first watch began from six to nine o'clock at night. Second watch would be nine to midnight. The third watch would be midnight to three. So the fourth watch of the night would be between three AM to six AM in the morning. So isn't it amazing that sometimes God will come to you very early? I wonder if any of you have ever had that experience where God just woke you up in the middle of the night. And he desired for you to pray and to seek his face. you got to know his presence. But what's really interesting is in Matthew's gospel, it says Jesus went unto them. But if you read it in Mark's gospel, Mark says this. He uses the word perukami, which means he would have passed by. In other words, Jesus was just walking by the boat. Now you might say, well, what's the significance of that? Well, this was known oftentimes in scripture as what they call a theophany. And a theophany simply is explained like this. It's a defining moment when God made a striking and temporary appearances in the earthly realm to select individual or group for the purpose of communicating a message. Now this happened many times in the Old Testament. One in particular was Moses. If you think about the story of Moses, God stuck him in the cleft of the rock. He put him in the cleft of the rock as he passed by and he declared his name on him. Why did God do that? Why did God show off in such a mighty way? Well, it was to prepare Moses for what he was about to do through him. God shows up when he's ready to do something great in your life, when he's ready to do something amazing in and through you. And so with Moses, he was going to deliver them out of the desert and take them to the promised land. With Moses, he was going to bring them into a land where they were going to defeat all their enemies and God was going to give them a land that didn't belong to them. God was going to show up and show off. Not only did it happen to Moses, it also happened to Elijah. Remember, God removed him and took him up on a mountain. And as he was there, Elijah was depressed. Elijah was burdened. And God began to speak to him. God showed up. He didn't show in the fire. He didn't show in the earthquake. He didn't show up in the wind. But he showed up in the still, small voice. Because Elijah was going to have to do something amazing. Elijah was going to have to go anoint new kings. He was going to have to anoint a new prophet. God was going to do amazing things in and through Elijah. And so God showed up. Same thing with Peter. God was getting ready to use Peter to do something amazing. And so God showed up walking on the water. Now here's the question you got to ask yourself. Why did God wait? Why did Jesus wait? Because have you ever noticed that sometimes... God waits till the wee hours of the morning. God waits till we don't feel like we're ready or we're capable, but God knows what he's doing. Every time in scripture when God waits, God has a plan and a purpose because my God is an on time God. I love the story in John chapter 11 with Lazarus, right? It says that they came to him and told him that Lazarus is sick and he goes, eh, just a little bit more time. He waits a couple more days and finally he makes his journey down there. Lazarus has been dead four days. And Martha looks at him and says, Lord, you could have stopped this. You could have stopped this. He goes, Oh, no, no, no. This is why I waited. This is why I waited. I waited because I needed you to see something. Because guess what? This was not long before Jesus himself was going to go to the cross. He needed them to see that, guess what? Death does not hold sway over God. But God can defeat death and sickness. That God was in control. And so he waited because he wanted Lazarus to be good and dead. In fact, at the point of decay, four days. The point of decay so that he could show up and show off. My God knows what he's doing and he's on time. I also think about the story of Abraham and Isaac. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? He takes him up on the mountain He leaves the servants there and he takes the wood. Isaac is carrying the wood pyre that he's going to be laid on. And so he builds an altar and he lays the wood on it. And he ties up his son and he lays his son on the altar. He grabs the knife in hand. He lifts it up above his son, ready to plunge it into his one and only son that God has given to him. And God goes, stop. Why did God wait so long? Did he not see that Abraham was willing to do it from the moment he packed up the mule? Did he not know that Abraham was willing to do it from the moment he took it up there with just his son? Did he not know that Abraham was ready to do it when he tied his son up and laid him on altar? No, here's the thing, God knew Abraham didn't. Abraham needed to know, I am fully invested in God. And so God waited because he needed to show Abraham something that Abraham needed to see one of my favorite stories is in john chapter 9 i love the man born blind because they want to know is was it this man's sin or was it his mother's sin that he was born blind now that's an interesting question isn't it was it his sin that he was born blind how do you sin in the womb right you ever thought about that i mean that's an unusual question but i love what jesus said to him it says it was neither his sin nor his mother's sin but it was for this moment In other words, he had been blind for 30 years because there was going to be a time when this man was around 30 years old. He would pass by Jesus, and Jesus would heal him of his blindness to bring glory and honor to God. My God waits sometimes, but there is a purpose in his waiting. You may be sitting there going, man, I really wish God would answer. If God is telling you to wait, he's got something great for you. He has. My God is an on-time God. We got to know his presence. Let me tell you something, one of the most exciting things is when people are walking out of church and they say, Man, we really felt God's presence today. We really saw God show up in a mighty way. Man, I hope you say that. I worry if you don't ever say that. Because if you don't know His presence, you obviously don't know Him. Now, I'm here to tell you, he shows up in so many ways. He shows up all the time. We've got to know his presence. Even when we're at home and things are going wrong, when everything seems to be falling apart, his presence shows up. We ought to see it. We ought to know it. If you want to walk on water, you got to know his presence. Number two, you got to know the difference. Look at verse 26. When disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a spirit, and they cried out, For fear. And I love this. He says it's a spirit. It's actually the word phantasma from where we get the word phantom or where we get the word ghost. All right? It's a creature of the imagination, is what the Greek word actually says. A creature of the amount. Now let's put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. Because oftentimes we look at this and we say, that just seems really foolish. But let's let's go back to that time. Let's put ourselves on the sea. Let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for just a moment. You need to understand that the day before they worked tirelessly. The day before that, they had been with Jesus all day. Jesus had been teaching. He had been teaching over five, he had been teaching 5,000 men, and more than likely many believe it was about a crowd of about 20,000. He had been teaching them all day. And then the disciples said, You need to send them away. And he said, No, nah, we need to feed them. We need to take care of them. And so they found a little lunch box, a little kid's lunch pail, right? Had a few loaves, had a few fish in it. And Jesus goes, Here's what we're going to do we're going we're to bless it, and then we're going to pass it out. Now, here's the amazing thing about when you think about the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus blessed it and broke it, he gave them 12 baskets, and they went around and started spreading it out. They probably knew there was a few morsels in there of fish and bread. They knew they were going to different groups. They probably believed they were going to run out of food. And yet they never had to go back to Jesus. They just kept carrying a basket. They kept dipping their hand in, and bread and fish kept coming out. So much so that when they packed up at the end of the day, they packed up all the baskets full of food. It's amazing when God showed up. But what's so interesting is they were involved in that. They were working. They were moving. When that finished, Jesus said, you know what? I need to go be alone. You guys get in the boat and you go to the other side of the sea. So they had worked all day. Now they got to get in the boat. Now they've got to row to the other side. They get in there at nighttime, probably around 6 O'clock at night, and they have rowed all night. A storm has prevented them from getting to the other side. What should have been a short trip was a forever trip. They have been there for over nine hours, rowing, agonizing, struggling, trying to get to the other part of the shore. And yet, God didn't allow them because He had something He was getting ready to do. God allowed the storms to rage to keep them right where they're at. You realize that sometimes. God uses the storms in your life to keep you right where you're at because he's not done yet. God will teach you in the midst of the storm. And in this situation, God kept them right there because he was getting ready to show up and getting ready to show off. And so the disciples were there. They were tired. They were struggling. They were desperate to get it They were sleepy, I'm sure. They were probably hungry. There was probably all kinds of things going through their mind. And all of a sudden, you see somebody walk on water, and you tell me what you think. Right? It's a ghost. I mean, let's be honest. Some of y'all probably believe in ghosts, right? Some of y'all are like, I've heard the stories. I believe in them. I don't know if I do. I don't. But here's the truth of the matter. When I look at it this way, they knew something had to be up. Because they knew how deep in the waters they were. They knew they weren't close to shore. They knew they were in trouble. This storm was raging. And here is some joker walking on the water. And they have to come up with some idea. It's a ghost. They're scared. They're in fear. Now, I love what John Ortberg says about this. He says this, Fear has created more practicing heretics than bad theology ever has. For it makes us live as though we serve a limited, finite, partially present, semi-competent God. Do you hear that? It makes us feel as though we serve a limited, finite, partially present, semi-competent God. Fear will choke the life out of your faith in God. It will literally captivate you, and it will keep you from trusting in God. Fear will strangulate you. Here's the thing. Satan knows the right time to hit you up. It's when you're tired and you're weary. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, have you ever watched what happened with Jesus when he had been away for 40 days and he was tempted by Satan? On that last day, he had been without food for 40 days, and that's when Satan come up and said, hey, won't you turn this rock into some bread? Won't you feed yourself? Hey, take yourself up on that pinnacle, throw throw yourself down, and watch God move. He He always attacks when we are at our weakest, and so therefore we need to be ready. We don't need to let fear take control. Of our lives. Let me tell you something. If this pandemic has taught me anything. It has taught me to have faith and not fear. It has taught me exactly what's going on in the world. And it has taught me what I need to be as a Christian. Can I tell you something? Non-Christians are watching us. They're watching us. you don't believe me, just look over in California and see what's going on with John MacArthur and his church. The world is watching us. They want to see us fail. They want to see us cower. They want us to believe that our God is not bigger than a virus. Hello? They want us to believe that they are in control. They want us to believe that they have all the answers. Let me tell you something. The only one that's got the answers for this virus is God. That's it. He's the only one that can take care of us. And here's the thing. If I go, I don't care. I go to a better place. What am I trying to stay here for? You see, the world wants to see us cower and be in fear. And they want to see us fail. You want to know why? Because then they can say, we knew all along you didn't believe what you say you believe. My God is too big for that. My God is way too big for the problems that we face in this world. The problem is, is we cower in fear. Can I tell you something? Back when 9-11 happened, I'm sure you guys all remember 9-11, right? Back when 9-11 happened, I remember I was actually getting on a flight not too long after that. And I remember as we were getting on a flight, they they were at that point doing all kinds of stuff. You know, they were going through your bags. And in fact, I got frisked. When I got on the plane, I don't know if I just didn't look right or something, but I got frisked getting on the plane, and they went. and I remember saying to myself, "Man, I will give up my freedom for my safety." I'm so glad I'm much more mature and older now. I won't give up my freedom for my safety, because I got the greatest safety net in the world. His name is God, and my God wants me to be a risk taker, not a wussy. I tried to hold back. I'm sorry. I really did. Don't fire me yet. You think about what we're faced with. I mean, we will give up our freedoms and we say, well, the government's going to help us through this. Can I tell you something? The government has nothing on God. And when we entrust everything to the government instead of trusting in God, we are just showing the world we believe man has better answers than God does. I'm not going to worry anymore. It's so funny, I go into the store and somebody goes, yeah, don't you get those dirty looks when you don't wear a mask? I do, and I don't care. If their mask works, they should be fine, right? But if you think a piece of cloth is going to help you physically, as opposed to the God who created the universe and gives you breath and life? By all means, wear it. I'm just not going to. It's always funny because people go, well, what about compassion? I always love this one. People go, what about compassion? You know, God gives us common sense, right? God, You can have all the common sense you want. I want God's sense, not common sense. You say, well... Common sense tells me that, 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 common sense tells you that you're listening to the world. I don't care if I get sick. Please understand, I don't care. If God chooses to give me whatever he chooses to give me, can I tell you, God is not fooled when I die. God is not surprised when I die. God is not scared when I die. God can do so much more than I can anyways. I promise you, God knows what He's doing. My God is bigger than anything we face in this world. And we've got to start living in faith instead of fear. Let me tell you how you know the difference between Satan's voice and God's voice. Because that's usually a question that comes about. What is the difference between Satan's voice and God's voice? God is never going to tell you to sin, but Satan will tell you it's okay, it's good for you. God will never... Ever tell you to do something for your own glory and your honor. He will tell you to do it for his glory and his honor. Satan will tell you to do it for your own. God will tell you to do things that will bring, it'll bring encouragement to the body of believers. But Satan will tell you to do things that will bring encouragement to yourself. Satan wants you to think about yourself and yourself alone. God wants you to think about everybody else but yourself. You see, we got to know the difference Number three, got to know his name. Look at verse 27. I love this, and I hate to say it, but most of our translations are terrible on this verse. But listen to what it says. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. I went back and looked at the Greek, and this is what the Greek says. "There he, ego, and me, me, Now, you might say, What in the world does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Take courage, I, I am, be not afraid. Now, I'm gonna tell you why I don't like this translation because it misses the most important part the ego and me. I, I am. Jesus was given God's covenant name to his disciples. It's not, it is I, it is I, I am. You say, well, what's the difference? The difference is, as Jesus was saying, hey, listen up, God is on the sea, God is in the storm, God is right here. You don't have anything to fear because God is here among you. He said, I am. Now, you say, well, what does that matter? Well, let me tell you something. When Jesus says, I am, it means a lot. In John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And his purpose behind that was to say, don't worry. I've got spiritual food that you know not of, but I've got spiritual food that will feed you eternally. I'm the bread of life. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In other words, when darkness is creeping all around us, and, oh, brother, it's here. When darkness is creeping all around us, Jesus is the light. He will outshine the darkness. Isn't it amazing that when a light's turned on, darkness runs away? Jesus is the light of the world. He will break the disease. He will break the problems. He will break the darkness. He is the light of the world. In John chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. In other words, if you need entrance, he's your entrance. He's your way. He's guarding the way. In other words, he's guarding it in both senses. He'll let you in and he'll keep out what didn't need to be in there. He is the door. In John chapter 10 and verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. We're the sheep. We fail. We fall short. But he protects. He knows us by name. He watches over us. He protects us. He provides for us. He is the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And here's the one I love. Here's the thing. If you believe he's the resurrection and the life, you don't fear death. You're not worried about disease. You're not worried about problems. Why? Because He's. this is not the end. This is just merely a stage we're passing through. Paul says, we're but a tent, but man, we're going to receive an eternal home. And oh, what a blessing it's going to be. If you think the problems in this world can compare to the glories that are to come, you are fooling yourself. There is nothing that God can't do for us. He's the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He wants you to know there's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life, and it's found in him. His name is Jesus. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, I am the true vine what does that mean he means he says you got to be attached to the vine if you want to grow fruit if you want to bear fruit if you want to be a good piece if you want to be what god wants you to be then you've got to be attached to the vine he will give you the substance of life he will fill you with the holy spirit and he will use you in great and mighty ways let's not forget john eight fifty eight, my favorite when jesus was talking with the pharisees and oh boy they they want to nail him down and jesus looks at me he says this he says i am that i am I am the self-existing one. I am the one who's always been, who always will be. I am the one who created all things. I am that I am. I am the one who is the creator of all things, and I am the uncreated one. I am the one who has been and who has always been and who will always be. I am that I am. And we know the Pharisees knew what he was saying because they picked up stones to stone him for blaspheming. And then he just walked on by. Let me tell you something. If you're struggling in this life, you need to know the name of God. Now, let me tell you something. He's got a lot of names. In fact, if you come tonight, you'll see the divinity of Jesus. There's like three pages of names for him. He's our Savior. He's our Provider. He's our Redeemer. He's our propitiation for our sins. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the Beginning and the End. He is the Great I Am. He is the Redeemer of all of his people. He is something special. When you think about him, he is the prince of peace. He's the almighty God. He is the everlasting one. When we think about Jesus, there's a name for whatever situation you're going through that my God can provide and my God can take care of. When we talk about God, we need to understand how big our God is. I love C.S. Lewis. And I, even as a kid, I loved the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you remember those. They even, Disney even produced movies about them. Probably didn't realize what they were doing. Probably didn't realize the imagery behind it. I'm certain of it. But you think about this. In Prince Caspian, there's a lion. His name is Aslan, and he represents Jesus. It's really cool when you think about the imagery behind it. C.S. Lewis was trying to dull it down for kids so that they could understand it. But at the end of Prince Caspian, a little girl goes up to Aslan, and she says, As Aslan... You are bigger. He answers, that is because you're older, little one. She responds, not because you are. He says, I am not. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. Here's what he was saying. God has never changed. He has never changed. He is still omnipotent. He is still all-powerful. My God is still omniscient. He still knows everything. I know we come up with new knowledge, but God knew it long before we did. I know that my God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. My God is so big. There is nothing that compares to him. I used to love it when we were little kids. We used to sing, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Do you still believe that? My God is so big, but here's what he's saying. The little girl goes, wait a minute, are you saying you're not bigger? And he says, no, I'm not bigger. He says, but you are. That doesn't make sense, does it? Because you remember when you were a little kid and you used to stand beside that person and you say, man, that guy's so big and I'm so small. And as you got bigger, you thought to yourself, oh, he's not as big as he used to be. Now he's still the same, but you would think he's smaller. God goes, that's not the way it works with him. My God is so big. As your faith grows, your sight of God grows. As you grow in your faith, God looks bigger, but he's always been that big and much, much bigger. As you grow in your faith, God is huge, and he is so much bigger than this world. Reminded of another little song as a kid, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. You know, Atlas had to hold it on his shoulders, Jesus can put it on the tip of his finger. Man, my God is so big. There's nothing in this world he cannot overcome. The question is, is what is the world seeing out of you? Are they seeing just how big your God is? Or are they seeing just how small your God is? My God's size has never changed, but your faith will. How big do people see God in you? I still love the little child that asked his mama one day, and he said, Mama, he said, God's bigger than us, right? And she said, Yes, honey, that's right. He said, Mama, he said, God lives in us, right? She said, That's right. He said, If God is bigger than us and God lives in us, why is he not pouring out of us? How big is God? Your God. If you want to walk on water, you better know him.